good to be with you guys today. Um, welcome to our family gathering. Uh, my name's Jay. I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet. And uh, we are still celebrating Easter. Yeah? He is still risen. Uh, we've been in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, uh, as a reflection of Easter realities. We've been looking at Revelation as this hidden truth about the way that the world really works and who's really in charge and what power and authority is truly operating underneath the surface of all things because Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Revelation, it gives us access to these hidden realities that that Easter says are real because of the resurrection of Jesus. We call this an apocalypse. Um, Apocalyptic language. It's revealing what's really happening under the surface. Last week we looked at the second to last, the penultimate, I love that word, chapter of the Bible and of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21 and the beginning of 22, which is this beautiful vision or dream of the new Jerusalem, which is ground zero for God's restoration project of the cosmos. And that it's coming down to touch this world and to cleanse it with living water through the tree of life and its leaves which heal the nations. Life flowing from God into every last corner of creation. And that this is God's dream for the world and He's calling out to us to, to dream alongside of Him, to become dreamers as it were. Today we're going to get to the very end, the end of Revelation 22. And it proclaims this, in in essence, that Jesus Himself is coming soon to accomplish this dream. Jesus is coming soon to accomplish this dream. So let's look at Revelation 22. Uh, We're going to be in verses 12 to the very end at verse 20. Look, I am coming soon, Jesus says. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this scroll, If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Revelation 22 is written as sort of a call and response. It's Jesus making promises and it's a community that's responding those promises with a shout of adoration, with a a response to Him. So that means that you have a, a part to play. 
So the good news that we proclaim today is that Jesus loves us and longs to be with us and is, in fact, coming soon. As the Alpha and the Omega, He will gather everything up in God's love and make all things new. And so today, family, join together with the Holy Spirit and the Bride, all of God's people throughout history and time, and say along with them, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So that's your part. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Quick reminder, I said this... uh, I mentioned it in in passing just a minute ago, but Revelation is not a crystal ball that predicts the future necessarily. It's a window that reveals the risen, ruling, reigning Jesus speaking and working here and now among us in our midst, in our trials and temptations. This was the message given to seven churches, real places with real people, and to us. And part of the way that Jesus is active among us now, and here at the very end, He speaks words of promise to us about the sure fulfillment of salvation, the deliverance of the world in every pocket of the cosmos. And this gives us hope for the future, and it gives us endurance for our present sufferings and trials. And just like the original recipients of this text who were harassed and oppressed by Rome, this great but also very destructive empire, we too need this word of promise from Jesus because we too can see that not everything is well. Not everything as God would have it here on earth. We mentioned several evidences of this last week. I won't repeat my list, but it was long. And we only scratched the surface. I will say that on a personal, interrelational standpoint, many of us even now, struggle with broken and estranged relationships with loved ones and we don't know how to navigate or fix. Suffering from the loss of relationships and unsure how to forge new ones that don't trigger the pain that we feel. We are beleaguered by besetting sins that keep tripping us up as we try to walk the way of love. No matter what type of suffering or concern you bring today, and all of them matter, All of them matter. It's clear that God's will is not yet here in its fullness, right? Here on earth as it is in heaven. In most days, we don't seem to be making a whole lot of progress either. It's not up and to the right. So we need this word of promise from Jesus today. We need it. I need it. Not just that God has a dream for the world. That's good but that He Himself is coming to make that dream reality. To bring salvation to the world, to its completion, to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In Revelation 22, at the very end of the story, is this very promise. It's exactly what we need at the end. Jesus doesn't end His story by saying, well, good luck to y'all. Keep at it. Keep up the good work. Hope it goes well. He says, no, I'm coming. I will do well. And so this promise that He gives is sort of a call and response. I mentioned this. This exchange between Jesus who promises to come soon and the Spirit and the Bride who hear and respond by saying, Amen. Come Lord Jesus. 
So Jesus promises and we respond, which is, is to say, yes, this is a good promise and we invite you to come. We need you to be here living among us. And it goes back and forth. I am coming. Yes, Lord Jesus, come. So what do you say we practice it? I think it's a good idea to practice. Like whenever Scripture gives us like a way to practice something into our bodies, it's a good idea to practice it, to see what God does as we practice. Okay? So I'll share the promise of Jesus coming and then together we'll say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Okay? By the way, that word, come Lord Jesus, it's the word Maranatha. So we're saying Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. I got three of them here. So you got three, three opportunities to respond. I expect that you'll start very timid and soft and then we'll get very loud at the end, okay? That's, that's how it's going in my mind. I, we'll see how it goes in reality. So Jesus is coming to reward those who've walked in faithfulness. All the pain and questions we, we endure. All the love and mercy we give. All the perseverance produced in us is seen and esteemed by God. Not one experience will be wasted or meaningless. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. It feels good. It feels good, doesn't it? it? Feels good. Jesus is coming as Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the only one who can throw his arms wide enough to gather everything up. All of our sins and suffering, all that we've done, and all that's been done to us will be reckoned in the fire of God's love, sins forgiven, wounds healed, suffering soothed, relationships reconciled. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Jesus is coming as the root and the offspring of David. As God, He is root and cause of all things. And as human, He is the offspring of His own creation. Divinity and humanity perfectly embodied in the flesh of Jesus to perfectly unite us with God forever. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Friends, the good news is that Jesus loves us <clears throat> and He longs to be with us and is coming soon as Alpha and Omega to gather everything up in God's love and make all things new. Friends, we are not alone in our longings. We join with the Spirit and all God's people throughout time and say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I don't know if you've ever given it much thought. I mean, we, we just said come, which means Jesus is somewhere else, but also here. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there is a paradox at the very center of our experience as followers of Jesus. We don't often call it a paradox or a mystery because we don't like those words. Like, I, I feel this sort of tension as a, like, evangelical Christian to like have all my ducks in a row and my theology straightened out and when people have questions to be able to give them clear definitive answers that solve all of those things in an instant. But there is mystery and tension and paradox even at the very center of our relationship with the God of the universe and it's okay to say so. That Jesus is both present and absent at the very same time. Um, this might come up in a few more weeks. We're going to be in the book of Acts together when Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples are standing there like, like 
agape, like looking into the heavens going, what do we do now? You know? And they have to be told, like, don't stand around here. Go. He'll be back. Like, you know, shoo. (laughs) But Jesus ascends to the right hand of His Father. And then He sends the Holy Spirit. And this is where we get this dichotomy from. This tension. This paradox. That we both experience the nearness through the Spirit and the distance through Jesus' ascension of God. Both the withness and the awayness at the same time. These are both true for us. It's a paradox. So Jesus is with us by the Spirit here and now. He has not abandoned us just as He promised He would not. But He's also bodily away from us in the heavens, sitting at the right hand of God. The story is not yet finished, which is why here at the end, the Spirit and the Bride say to Jesus, come. Come and make these two realities one. They say this because there is yet a longing in all of our hearts for this final union with God and with each other. And our response to this good news, this Amen, come Lord Jesus, this Maranatha, it's not just um, like something that we perform. It's how we participate in the renewal of all things. Because we can't do it without Him coming. Right? Go ahead and try to live a life of justice and peace in the world. Try to love your enemies and your neighbors as yourself. Do it for 80 years. And at the end of your life, if you, if you had any illusions that you would be able to enact God's restoration plan for the cosmos in the 80-year span of your life, by the time you get to the end, you will be in despair if you don't say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. So it's how we participate in this renewal. It's part of how we share in the resurrection life that Jesus shares with us. And part of our inheritance as God's people is to join in the Spirit-generated groaning of all creation. Creation itself, Scripture tells us, is longing for redemption. You see, come Lord Jesus is the refrain of God's world, not just God's people. Which means, I don't know if you ever thought about it this way. This is profound, I think. That every animal and bird, every stone, every tree, every mountain, every storm cloud and earthquake and hurricane long for the One who will subdue them and harmonize them for the flourishing of humanity and every creature on earth. I said a lot just though. Why, do, why does creation seem to rebel against creation itself? Why do people die in horrific ways in earthquakes and storms and tsunamis? Do you ever hear the saying, um, hurt people hurt people? Do you ever hear that saying? What does it mean? Yeah. Because they want to? Because it, it, they're repeating the cycles of pain that they themselves experience. They don't know another way. They, they, they themselves were subjected to such brokenness that they repeat that brokenness in sometimes 
resonant and sometimes dissonant ways to those around them and even the next generation. The, the Bible talks about this as generational sin. That the sins of the fathers are passed on to their sons and so on and so forth. Why? Because it repeats these cycles of pain and brokenness and sin. Friends, those same cycles are embedded into the very fabric of creation itself. It's not that creation wants to unleash destruction on those that live in its environment. It's just it knows no other way because it's received the brokenness of the image bearers of God. You know what the Bible calls that? The curse. That's what it means for creation to be under a curse. It's not that God wanted it this way. It's not that creation itself wants it this way. It's been subjected to that. And so what does it tell us? It says that it repeats this woundedness as, as a sort of inescapable reality until, until God Himself comes to release it from this bondage. And so our inheritance, our calling then as, as renewed image bearers of God who are, who are now connected in union with God through Jesus Christ and stewards of His creation and representative of Jesus' kingdom is to groan along with creation because creation wants to be released from this bondage. It does us no good to say things are okay when they're really not. We're told to, to, to join in creation in its groaning for the Maranatha, for Jesus to come. And when we do that, we give voice to creation's long-suffering groan. So God is present and at work in our lives, in the world, by the Spirit. Yes, we bear witness to God's victory over death by the resurrection of Jesus. Stuff has changed because of Easter. To be sure. We walk the way of love as God's people. We demonstrate to the world that this breaking reality has come and we preview it to the rest of creation. But friends, we also groan and pray and cry out. In other words, we, we maranatha with creation. We give ourselves over to this longing for Jesus because we long for Him and the cosmos longs for Him. But guess who else longs for this to be true? Jesus Himself does. Jesus Himself longs for this reality to be true. I love Jesus' prayer in John 17, 24. It says, he, he says this in His final prayer, Father, I want those You have given Me to be with Me where I am. I want to be with them. I want them to see My glory, the glory that You've given Me because You loved Me before the creation of the world. I want to express and share that love that You've placed in Me with every single person. I want to gather them in. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to be with us. He's longing for this union that will come at the renewal of all things. And so we long for this final union because God longs for it too. Just as we dream last week because God's dream is placed in our hearts, so too with our longing, we can say that it was His longing first. And so if it's taking root in us, it's taking root because He's at work in us.
And God's Spirit is rising up within us to birth this longing. So the good news that we proclaim is that everyone who hears, everyone who longs for justice says come. And in the midst of our sin and suffering, everything that's still broken and unfinished, Jesus loves us and longs to be with us and is coming soon as the Alpha and the Omega to gather everything up in God's love and make all things new. Yes? Amen. Come Lord Jesus. We need to take notice of one more thing before we can respond. Because it seems like not everyone will gain access to this newness that God brings on earth. Does verse 15 bother you at all? It always bothered me. Right smack dab in the middle of, God, of Jesus promising all these wonderful things, the, the tone of the, this final exhortation seems to like change for one verse where it says, oh yeah, and by, by the way, outside of the dogs, poor dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. This can be a bit worrisome in an otherwise hope-filled promise, yes? Why in the world does Jesus insert this here? Well, let me um, address this and maybe put your minds at ease a bit. Each of the examples that uh, are given here in verse 15, they aren't just random, like, um, bad morality things that you could... Jesus didn't just like throw sins into a bag, shake them up, and then go, bingo, those who are sexually immoral. You know, like, that's not what he's doing. Each of these um, are part of a system that would have been clear to the audience that John is writing to. They are representative of various idol worship environments that were practiced throughout the Roman Empire. So each Roman god would have a temple and in that temple would have certain practices. And these temples of idolatry were places of opulent wealth where the poor and the pure were cast out or taken advantage of, where families would be robbed of their inheritance and used even as they were sold false promises that these gods would bless and prosper them. They were factories of falsehood. Places where women were conscripted into sex slavery. Places where sacrifices were made. Sometimes even child sacrifices. So throughout the Roman Empire, homes are being devoured. And these places of quote-unquote worship or idolatry were on the inside of Rome and they all claimed to have divine power. Are you getting the picture here? So John is not giving a warning that we won't be welcomed into God's presence if we don't get our act together. Which is how this verse is sometimes said and used. That if we don't take care of that hidden sin or confess that lie that we told last week, whoops, well, we're going to be on the outside. So you better take care of it today. No. No. It's not what he's saying. This is not a word of warning about us. It's a word of promise about justice. It's hard for us to see if we don't put it in modern vernacular. 
And I think if, if verse 15, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, were, were written in our context today, it might say something like this. Right? Gird up your loins. Outside are the gun lobbyists who traffic in fear and deal in death. Outside are the corrupt politicians and judges who are financed by the rich and make laws that harm the poor. Outside are the porn peddlers who traffic children and degrade women. Outside are the pundits who scapegoat racial and sexual minorities and stir up fear because their power feels threatened. It puts a bit of a different spin on it. It's not a change in tone. It's a magnification of the promise. It's as if God is saying all these death-dealing systems and structures that are used to being on the inside of every empire from Rome to America, they have no place in my new world. They can see themselves out, thank you very much. And perhaps they can come in one day because my gates never shut. But they'll have to leave their death-dealing ways in order to enter. They too will need to wash their robes if they want to join with those they've exploited because humanity is now under my direct care and protection. See, part of Jesus' gathering up of everything and everyone in God's love is the rescuing of of all people from every abusive authority that has existed before Him. And so friends, you need not live in fear that you will be excluded or in despair that the principalities and powers that seem to run our world would never be defeated. You get to live in hope today. Because beloved, Jesus loves us and longs to be with us and is coming soon as Alpha and the Omega to gather everything up in God's love and make all things new. Friends, we are not alone in our longings. We join with the Spirit of God and all God's people throughout time and space and say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So how do we respond to this? I think for myself, I'm trying to respond by staying present to my own longings for Jesus to come. When, I'm, when I tend towards like despair or, e- or even like like self, like I can do itness, which are the two ditches for me. Either I'm good as this like autonomous person and I can get things done on my own, and so it's all up to me, or I can't, it's all up to me, woe is me, it'll never get done. I seem to live in those two ditches a lot. And I think the middle way, the, the road of faithfulness, is to not trend towards self-reliance and not trend towards despair. But to say in, in the middle, in a sense, you know, I, can't, I can't take the, the entire world on my shoulders and I can't even um, manufacture everything I'd love to see in my own life or in my family's life. Like There are still areas of brokenness, of mental health issues and relational conflict and job loss all around. Like These things are still happening and I can't do anything to fix them, but I don't need to run away from them at the very same time. I don't need to isolate as a protective mechanism that my body says you need to do in order to, to, to feel safe. Now, under all those things, I can be present to it, but not have to do it in my own strength. 
And the middle way of those two realities is to pause and say, come, Lord Jesus. Come. I can't do it, and I don't know what you're up to. But help me to stay present long enough to listen and to respond. Last week I mentioned that we don't need to be present to every problem in the world. It's not all ours to bear. But friends, it is good for us to be present to the longing that is in our sphere of attention. The things that are in your life and the lives of those closest to you. Because of Jesus' promise that He's coming soon, it's safe to give yourself over to these longings for the kind of justice and peace that Jesus will one day bring. We're invited to not just hold our attention to it, but to cry out that God would do something about it. So what situation, relationship, or otherwise do you need to be present to so that you can give yourself over to participating in the groaning of creation? When we shout together, Amen, come Lord Jesus, what's the next thing for you? What's the thing that you wish for Him to come in to? We're going to pray and take a moment to give space to make that cry. But before we do, I just want to remind you what verse 20 says. That he who testifies to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. The good news, beloved, is that Jesus loves us and longs to be with us and is coming soon as Alpha and the Omega to gather everything up in God's love and make all things new. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this reality. If we trend towards self-reliance or despair and isolation, God, would you call us back to the middle way, the way of love that holds these longings long enough to bring them to your attention to. We thank you that, not, that everything that we experience does not escape your loving attention and your willingness to act. And so God, we say yes, come into these things for our good and for the sake of the world that you love. We love you. And we invite you now in Jesus' name. Amen.